Oh yeah, it's a new year. Amen. Hey, Micah, good to see you, buddy. Good looking group, man. I think y'all look better this year than you did last year. I'm just really. A uh, couple of things uh, to announce. Uh, not yet, brother, but hang on to them. A um, couple of things to announce. I'm not sure uh, if it was said earlier this morning, but uh, by way of reminder, Mr. Holton is in Kitty Askins, room 102. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but uh, room 102. And uh, so continue to pray uh, for him, his family. And uh, if you want to go see him, probably need to go see him. Uh, just be aware he, he probably won't be able to have conversation, but uh, no doubt he'll know you in the room. And, um, I mean, it's, but uh, keep him in your prayers, please. And so, uh, also Mark Moore's mom, I found out this morning, is uh, now, uh, she's no longer in the Bryan Center. She's uh, with Linda, um, and so his aunt. And so, continue to pray for her. And so, no doubt, there's a lot of other prayers that need to be shared. And continue praying for one another. Guys, this definitely, we're going to be talking this morning about Vision 2020 there what we're looking at for the future and, and in the days ahead. And prayer has to be uh, a foundational part of, of who we are and what we do. And so let's, let's kind of make that a personal goal. It's, it's not so much in today's message, but it's kind of one of those that you think goes without saying, but it's, it's actually the one thing that needs to probably be said more than anything. Let's keep praying. Let's keep seeking the Lord. Let's keep grabbing hold of the throne room of grace uh, with our heart cries, and uh, he hears us, he's listening, and so let's keep praying for one another, and pray for the mission, mission at hand. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and go to this passage of Scripture. Um, it's going to be Proverbs 29, verse 18. And as you're turning there, uh, i got to give Nate credit on this title. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily uh, original from him, but uh, I've seen several other pastors starting the year, and I said, man, i got to go with it, 2020 vision. But it's good. I like it. 2020 vision. How many of you in here have 2020 vision? Okay, don't raise your hand if you're wearing glasses. All right. Yay, a couple of you. Good. Nice. Strong eyesight. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> right, elderly folks? <laughs> Enjoy it while it lasts, because it won't last for long. Oh, man, I remember, and I didn't, Carver was offering his readers earlier. I may need them glasses. But I remember the first time it became brutally honest that I needed glasses. I don't know, any, any of you remember that? when it, Just like that first time, I was like, oh, I am. I, I. Now, let me just tell you. Uh, my youngest daughter, Sarah, she is truly my child. That's why we call her Jeremy Jr. But she also inherited my eyesight. She is blind as a bat. I mean, this girl, is she, you know, when she finishes her Coke bottle, she goes like this. You know, um, That's terrible. But anyways, she got it from her daddy. But I remember, you know, and I can just, like it was yesterday. So when I was growing up in Town, Asheboro, there was two things you did back in the 80s. You went roller skating or you went to the mall, right? I mean, or you cruised, you know, cruising. A, that was a spillover from the, from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right, older generation? But anyway, uh, by the way, speaking of 80s, public service announcement. 
mark your calendars. February 17th, it's a Friday. February 17th, huh? <laughs> Thank you, honey. That would have been like terrible. Been, that, Faith, that would have been like a Lex Luthor party. Nobody's showing up. Some of my Smallville fans got that joke reference. Um, so January, so scratch that out, and put January 17th. It's like in a week and a half, two weeks. It's coming up soon. January 17th, Friday night, you are all invited to my daughter's 16th birthday party. We right out here. Yeah, woohoo! Well, hold on, you're clapping now. You ain't heard the rest of the invite. So, no, no offering. <laughs> hmm. We have been wondering how we're going to pay for this, but <laughs> no. So here's what we do ask, though. She wants an 80s-themed birthday party. So, I'm asking if you would like to, we would love for you to dress like you're in the 80s. Now, some of you, that's just going to go to your closet. But seriously, once you get, look, if you want to come sporting your best David Hasselhoff, Crane, you can come as the 80s Trump. I mean, you know, whatever. Come, come as you like, man, but, you know... Uh, we're going to have some fun. Just please know, uh, don't judge me. We're going to be having some fun out there in the gym. It'll be a great night. Uh, so we would ask if you would, uh, if you'd like to join us in that, that would be wonderful. Now, public service announcement over. Back to 1980s and Jeremy is at the Randolph Mall. This is when I knew I needed glasses. You know, there you sit. Mama's kitchen. Right there in the food court. And I remember, you know, that was a spot. You call up your little girlfriend. You call up your little girlfriend. Some of you young people don't know what I'm doing. You call up your little girlfriend. Hey, we're going to the mall Friday. Why don't you meet us? Where are you going to be? I'll, be? I'll meet you at Mama's Kitchen. What time? 7 o'clock. All right, we'll see you there. Sitting there at Mama's kitchen eating my chili dog. Waiting for my girlfriend. There she comes. <laughs> no one just embarrassing this poor girl's soul. Only to find out when she gets right here, it's not a girl, it's a dude. <laughs> and he's 80. And Asian. My girlfriend was not 80 Asian or a dude. I'm just saying. Oh, that's embarrassing. Now, that's a hyperbole, guys. I'm exaggerating, obviously, a little bit. But the reality was, the first time I knew, I'd look across, and they this embarrassing. You ever do that? You wave at somebody, you get up, and they, oh, realize that's not them. The only other worst is when somebody waves at you, and you wave back, and they go, hey, how you doing? And they walk right past you, and they're talking to the guy behind you. Your vision might need some adjusting. Well, guys, I, say, I share that little fun story because the reality is before you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're blind as a bat. You can't see. You really cannot see. Dead men don't see. They're dead. And unless you are quickened and made alive by the Spirit of God, you will not see reality. This is why biblical worldview is so important. What is your worldview? 
what shapes how you see things around you. And we talk about this often here. You know, we do our apologetics conference every year. That is so that you can develop a biblical worldview. You can see the world for how it really is. And in a day of fake news, in a day of social media, guys, there are lies after lies after lies trying to get you to see things from a narrative that's being painted from perspective. And perspective doesn't make it true. And so how important is it for us to see the world around us with the proper lenses? And a biblical worldview helps to make the world around us clear. And so I want to talk a little bit about this as we delve into today's message. And so, like any good preacher, we'll start the year with our visionary sermon with this passage. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, it's fun to uh, note that most pastors this time of year, uh, nowadays, now there are a few circles still left that um, predominantly use the King James Version. It's a translation, by the way, just that. A, it's, a, it's a version. It's not a translation. It's a version. And so a lot of people like the King James Version. I, got nothing. I love the King James Version. It's beautiful. It's poetic. But guys, i got to tell you, a pastor's sin is too often times that we pour through various translations and find something that says, that's what I want to say. Ooh, that's bad. That's bad. That's not how we do exegetical teaching. And so that's a little confession. It's interesting that most pastors will be, a lot of them around the world today are using King James Version. They never use it. They use ESV every other week, NSV every other... But they use this passage today. Why is that? Where there's no vision, the people perish. And what they mean by that oftentimes is, well, let me, let me tell you a preferred goal. That, that I think us as a church, a preferred goal that we ought to lead, that we ought to go to. This is a preferred goal. Now, I've got nothing wrong with preferences, and I've got nothing wrong with vision. In fact, in the sense of that definition, we do this every year. We send out to all of our department heads, hey, what are your goals for next year? And as long as we understand that, and we understand that language, that that's what we're asking for, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong. I'm not anti-vision in that, in that definition. But that's not the definition here. So you mean to tell me the Word of God says that, if, if, well, bless God, if, if, if there's no vision, if that pastor's not cast in a vision, that church is going to die. They're going to perish. Because it's not what this verse is saying. And so, in order for me to really cast the goal before you that I do believe is a direction that we as a local assembly here in community at Community Baptist Church in the town of LaGrange in order for me to cast effectively, communicate to you effectively the goal in which I believe we should move towards in 2020, we've got to understand some biblical foundation first. We've got to put on the right lenses so we can see clear as we move forward into the vast areas of preferences, direction, leanings, leadings, whatever. The case may be, as long as we are building on Christ, that structure stands. So, what about this? Well, what does this really mean then? What does this verse really mean? Where there's no vision, the people perish. Perish. 
Many are asking, what does this really mean? Oh, man, y'all started the year off right. Y'all awesome. Yes, people are asking. And so here's, let's take a look. First off, what do we always teach you? Thank you, Lori. Next time, a little more enthusiasm, please. Context, context, context. We talk about this all the time. Here's the problem. Is Proverbs. Well... This is a proverb. Many are asking, what is a proverb? I'm glad you ask. What is a proverb? Simple and short, it's a short saying that expresses a general truth for practical godly living. It's wisdom. It's wisdom in a nutshell. And proverbs aren't just Christian in nature. I mean, there are proverbs. You go eat Chinese, some of y'all are going to go eat some Chinese food later. Ah, oh, Confucius say. And you might read a Chinese proverb, right? So there are proverbs, there are general expressions of truth that impart wisdom if you heed them. Now, I know many will say, you know, all truth is God's truth, and, and, and some can explore that if they so choose. Some, but at the end of the day, a pithy saying that surmises a general truth. Now, that's a proverb. But if we're going to understand what a proverb is, you kind of probably need to understand what a proverb is not. A proverb is not a promise from God. So if you're looking through the Scriptures and you want to stand on a promise of God, you can't take proverbs as a concrete, absolute promise. Let me give you an example. Train up a child in the way they should go. God bless you. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. And some people have taken, well, that's a promise. God, I don't understand why my child's gone astray. I did what you said. I raised them up in the church and I raised them in your teaching and now they're no longer walking. And we just somehow are beat down and deflated. And some people depart from the faith because they feel like God failed them. And the sad thing is, sometimes others, sister better than you, looks down on them because, oh, well, obviously you didn't do something right because God says if you train them up in the way they should go, they won't depart, and your child departed. So I don't know what you did wrong, but it was wrong. That's terrible. I hope y'all don't beat down people with the Scriptures like that. Look, the general truth is that if I take aim and I shoot an arrow and it's been structured straight, the arrow shaft has been raised straight, it's going to typically go in the direction I fired it. If I train up my child in the truth of God's Word, exemplifying and teaching, and uh, as I lead my own life and pouring into them the biblical wisdom and truth, the general truth is they're most likely to go in that direction. Where are you pointing your child? Are you pointing them to the wisdom of the world? Are we pointing our children into the things that thus saith the public school? Are, are we teaching? What, what are we pouring in? Which direction are you pointing your kids? Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. And another thing in general truth is what you've been taught, you can't be untaught. If I pour into my child biblical truth, 
It doesn't matter where they go on the face of the earth or in the universe. They can never escape the truth. And that's what that passage is wanting to encourage you with. But don't take that as a promise to stand upon. Ask Adam and Eve. They were perfect parents. All my parents that sometimes struggle, and look, we got four, and I'd take plenty more, but God just said, no, and that's, I'm cool with that. I'm okay, but if he wants to give me four more, hallelujah, open the door, let's go. But the reality is, and my wife's on the same page too, for all you ladies, go, uh -huh, his wife don't feel that way. Yeah, she does, she does. <laughs> but guys, I know sometimes, especially in the little years, man, it's like, <laughs> and we feel like we're just failures as parents. Listen, if there's anybody that feels like, we, we remind our kids off, often, man, your daddy was a terrible parent. You know, like I remember some of those early days, I didn't know how to handle that screaming and crying. I didn't know what to do. I think I screamed and cried more than they did, and that was Adam, you know? But uh, faith got the brunt. The oldest always gets the brunt. All the older children say, yeah, I know, that ain't right. And the babies, y'all know the babies in the family, right? They get, uh, they get away with murder. I know, it's, it's a proverbial truth, I'm just saying. But, look, let me let you off the hook. Adam and Eve were perfect. They were in their perfect state, using 100% of the brain. And they had one child who was a murderer. They raised them the same. I got four kids, and the reality is, I got four chances of those kids walking with the Lord. And I got four chances of those kids going astray. But I got a responsibility to train them up in the way they should go. And that's what we must do. Don't put the responsibility on you of the outcome. That's not on you. That's not on you. Alright, so we know what a proverb is. We know what a proverb is not. Now is when it gets a little bit onto the boring. So I'm going to get comfortable. It's hot in here. Anybody else hot in here? Okay, thank y'all. Yeah, so if anybody else wants to hit that AC, JC, that'd be good. All right, do we got anybody? Oh, he's not here today. Oh, all right. All right. Three types. This is when we get into more of the technical side of things. So stay with me, though, because I'm telling you, if you stay with me, this is good stuff. We're going to get in here a little bit. And, and this is sort of, I'm just going to kind of give an, an aerial overview. We're not going to delve into this real deep, but here we go. Uh, we're going to look at, first off, when you're reading Proverbs, something else, we understand what a proverb is, we understand what a proverb is not. We also need to uh, kind of define some things, some things that you'll find in the Proverbs. For example, you're going to see three characters. When you go through the, the wisdom book, typically God through, uh, uh, is laying out in his word here. By the way, this is Solomon, right, you know, being addressed. We're, we're, it's the wisdom of Solomon where he's, you know, wanting, wanting his kids to know some things. Uh, the wise are often addressed in the Proverbs. The wise. Proverbs urges its readers to be wise. By the way, this comes from a Gospel Coalition article. So, so these little three types definitions is coming from a Gospel a Coalition uh, article. You can look it up on the three types of characters in Proverbs. But the wise, the Proverbs urges its readers to be wise. That is to embrace God's covenant and to learn the skill of living out the covenant in everyday situations. And so that's the wise. The wise do this. The wise man does. The wise, you know. And so you'll see the character of the wise man and what he does. And that's the guy who's, who's following after truth. But you also see the fool a lot of times in Proverbs. 
And the fool's the person who's steadily opposed to God's covenant. Go your own way. Go my own way. They're going to go. I'm just practicing up for karaoke at your party. But the fool <laughs> typically, you know, opposes God's covenant. And so a lot of times when you're reading the Proverbs, you're going to see what the foolish man does. And then there's also the simple. That's a third characteristic that's often portrayed in the Proverbs. And this is the person who's not firmly committed. It's kind of that one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And the reality is that's probably where predominantly most Christians in America are today. They don't really have a, a heart-drawn interest in studying the Word of God. You know, they, they don't really want to go too deep in the Word of God. They, they want just enough of Jesus, and that's typically on Sunday in a potluck. And the simple person, not, not firmly committed either to wisdom or to folly, but he's easily misled. Don't be deceived. That slope leans towards hell. Now, Proverbs has a way of making the simple wise. And the beginning of wisdom is to what? Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so these are typical characters that we find, types of characters that you'll see as you pour through Proverbs. We also need to look at, to understand our passage for today, not losing sight of the passage of Proverbs 29, 18, to understand that verse that we often hear preached this time of year. We need to continue exploring what Proverbs are, what Proverbs are not, what the characteristics are. And now we want to look at some of the differences between some things you'll also see in Scripture in the Proverbs, and other Hebrew literature, by the way. These are some Hebrew literature terms, so you'll find some, some Hebrew poetry, Psalms, and Ecclesiastes, and, and Proverbs, and some of those books that, that, that kind of uh, go together. You'll see synonymous parallelism. A little too fancy for me. We're in LaGrange. Stay with me. Synonymous parallelism. What is it? People are asking, what is it? What is it? Yes, I'm glad you asked. Synonymous parallelism is a poetic liter literary device which involves the repetition of one idea in successive lines. The first half of a verse will make a statement, and the second half will essentially say the same thing in different words. The statements are parallel in that they're juxtaposed or side-by-side, side, or they share similar syntax. The statements are synonymous in that they say the same thing with some minor vari variations. That's what synonymous parallelism is. So let me give you an example. Proverbs 3.11. Proverbs 3.11 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke. So you can look at that and kind of see the example that we just defined, right? Synonymous parallelism. You see the parallel in the two statements, in the two lines. Do not despise is equal to do not resent, right? The Lord's discipline is synonymous with his rebuke. 
the first part of the command lines up rather neatly with the second part of the command, that's synonymous parallelism. So we're learning today, right? This is a little bit better than Jesus loves me, this I know. And he does, and that's a great truth. But we need to go a little deeper, so let's keep digging. What about antithetical parallelism? <laughs> what is that? Antithetical parallelism. Well, antithetical parallelism provides an antithesis or contrast. I like words like that. It's a little easier to say, too. Contrast. It provides a contrast. A verse containing antithetical parallelism will bring together opposing ideas in marked contrast. Instead of saying the same thing twice, it says one thing and then a different thing. Right? Antithetical parallelism. All right. Let me give you an example. Ecclesiastes 10.2. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Now hold up. I know y'all think that is a political statement. I'll give a few of you a few seconds to read that. And some people do not find that humorous. And it's okay. That's not good exegetical, guys. This is not a political statement, all right? What it is saying is there's two hearts, two directions. The wise man's heart desires one thing, and the fool's heart desires something completely different. And isn't this truly what we see in the world today? Their inclinations are antithetical. And this is why biblical worldview is so vital. This is why understanding the Word of God is so important because we've got a lot of people out there under the auspice of Christianity and they've got antithetical views. Now how can that be? And I would argue that it's due to a lack of understanding of the truth of God. And this is why proper hermeneutics, rightly dividing the word of truth, is vital to our worldview. Because if we pour into the scripture meaning, then it's manipulated to what we desire. But if we pull out of the scripture exegetical, we have understanding of God's heart, God's desire, God's mind. And so that's why the study of God's word is so important in helping us to shape our worldview and how we see things and how we discern and how we weigh right and wrong, truth and error. And it delights the Lord to know we walk in truth. So that's an example. And then there's a, 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 another, oh, well, let me give you a few other, because this one's kind of lengthy. There's actually several different, it's not just a clean cut. Uh, often, but not always, antithetical parallelism is set up with the conjunction, but. Here's another example from Proverbs 19, 16. He who obeys instructions guards his life, but, had a professor always say, look out for the big butts in Scripture, but. He who is contemptuous of his ways will die. Again, we have two ideas. Antithesis. One person follows advice and thus lives in safety, 
whereas another person despises his life, stint my life, and is heading for trouble. In this proverb, we have a couple things that don't seem to be complete opposites, and this is what makes, again, Hebrew poetry so rich. There's a lot to explore in the Hebrew poetry section of your scriptures. Have fun, my literature nerds. Anyway, um, there's also synthetic parallelism. Synthetic parallelism, this is one type of synthetic parallelism, simply classifies certain behaviors or traits. Um, for example, Proverbs 21.4 classifies three characteristics of a wicked heart. Haughty eyes, a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, their sin. And so, again, this is oftentimes what consumes the life, the trait, the character trait of a wicked person. And so, I thought that was Gabriel for a minute. All right, here we go. <laughs> another type of synthetic parallelism presents an action side by side with another action, greater or lesser consequences. So, again, Proverbs 21, 27 is an example of this. Let's explore it. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable. How much more so when brought with evil intent? The verse takes one sinful action, offering a sacrifice with a wicked heart, and compares it to an even greater sin, offering the sacrifice for the express purpose of sinning. It's an argument from less than to greater than. And so that also falls into this, uh, this category. All right, so another type of synthetic parallelism uh, that we can uh, discuss. Um, is the synthetic parallelism, which involves the formula. It means it's better this than that. A better this than that. An example of that is Ecclesiastes 7.5. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Hmm. Interesting. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Now, songs are usually pleasant to hear, right? Unless I'm singing. Uh, and we usually don't like to be rebuked. As a pastor, I can promise you, people love the pastor for Bible teaching. But the second a pastor tries to correct or rebuke, mm -mm, I'm off the Christmas list. I'm just saying. I'm just being real. Nobody likes a rebuke. But given the choice between a fool's song and a wise man's rebuke, choose the rebuke every time. Proper guidance, proper guidance is valuable. No amount of entertainment can compensate for bad advice. You know, one of my favorite passages, I quote it often, and I often have to share it in counseling, is faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We live in a world where many people are setting up for themselves teachers that tickle their ears. They tell them what they want to hear. That's what that proverb is saying in essence. The general truth is, Look, you, you don't want people to prop you up. Oh, no, girl, you look good in that outfit. It's, yes, that is you. She looks like a heifer cow. I'm telling you what, that girl is, I think if it was any tighter, she'd be like Pillsbury Biscuits, busted open. That's not a friend. 
That's not a friend at all, right? Oh, well, sweetie, yeah, that, that's not you. You might want to try that other one on. Let me see it on you, all right? Guys, sometimes when we correct or we rebuke, and that, look, I, I'm lighthearted in this, and, but it's not oftentimes that case. Sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes what we're talking about is, is again, it's that decision between not necessarily right and wrong. Sometimes it's between, yeah, this is good, but you know what? This is best, and you really need to pursue this. And that's not always received. So, let me ask you, what type is this? Where there's no vision, the people perish. Well, wait a minute. As Paul Harvey would say, and now, the rest of the story. We can't really decipher until we see the rest of the passage, the rest of the verse. How convenient. You know, we get to this time of year and where there's no vision, the people perish. Bless God, if you don't get on board, you're going to die. This church is going to dry up. No, that's not what it means. So let's look at the full passage. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Anybody want to shout out which parallelism it is? <laughs> All right. Thank you. The but parallelism. I will go with that answer. That answer is accepted, right? Yes. Pat? Or, no, what's my name? Ann's name? Alex. Thank you, Alex Trebek. Yes. yes. All right. Anyway. That's what this one is. Well, let's, uh, let's unpack it a little bit more. Now that we know uh, kind of what it's addressing, what it's, what it's talking about here. Um, let's look at it in some other translations. Since people want to choose the King James translation this time of year, well, let's see what all the other translations have to say. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Well, that sounds a lot different. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. That's the New Living Translation, right? Hey, truth be told, that's the most accurate in translating it. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. How about CEV? Without guidance from God, law and order disappear. Where there's no revelation, the King James, New King James, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Without revelation, people run wild. Uh, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, ESV. The Amplified Version, where there's no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. Now, I say best translation because of our... Vernacular, our, our, our common day, modern, talking on the street, English, that NLT says it. Tim Chalice wrote this. He said the Hebrew word that's causing all the trouble is kazon, not a calzone. I know y'all are hungry, but stay with me. Kazon. That sounded kind of French Hebrew, didn't it? I don't know. Which refers specifically, it refers specifically to a prophetic vision. This is not vision in the sense of a picture of the future that produces passion. That's, that's not, don't take my word for it, ask Siri. 
And only a small amount of research into the text shows this to be true. <laughs> Strong's, by the way, uh, Strong's Concordance. Y'all, you guys know. See, some of y'all don't have the pleasure of carrying around that big bulky book called Strong's Concordance. Us older folks, we know, man. You used to lug that thing around for your Bible study. That thing's huge. And uh, I just Google it up. Uh, fine. I'll use mine for a stepping stool. I can get something out of the top cabinet. Can you do that with your iPad? <laughs> anyway. If you look up in Strong's, vision is described as this. Because again, the word's used. Where there's no vision. It's an, an ecstatic state. Vision. In night. Vision. Oracle. Prophecy. Divine communication. Vision. Title of book of prophecy. This is important to understand. Well, what about the word perish? Well, again, this um, uh, from Chalice's article, none of these can be used to support the type of vision these authors or pastors that often preach this. Um, uh, it, it doesn't support these types of suggestions they make. Furthermore, perish does not mean die. Well, there's a head scratcher. You mean the translators translated that word perish? As if it somehow means to die? No, 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 no. That word is never translated as perish. The word used in the Hebrew is not translated perish except for in that verse. It does not mean die. That word perish there does not mean die. It means to cast off restraint. That is, the, that is what the word means. Cast off restraint. So the meaning of the verse is clear when we understand the truth of the passage in, in its brief context. Where there's no prophetic, no, where there's no prophetic vision or revelation from God, the people cast off restraint. They no longer are faithfully interpreting God's word and his laws. That meaning's further borne out by the second half of the proverb. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So Proverbs 29, 18 is simply saying, blessing comes to those who knows God's word and does it. Do you know God's word? How important, when we think about this vision statement, how important is it for us at Community Baptist Church to understand what this means? We live in a day where people have cast off the restraint of God's word. They do not want divine communication. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes, in his own sight. And we study judges and we know what that brings forth. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. It's destruction. And guys, the vision for 2020 at Community Baptist Church is the same vision it's always been. It's to rightly divide the word of truth. And to obey it. And with that comes great blessing. No, that blessing isn't always 
materialistic. We grieve and hurt just like everybody else in the world. But the story's not done. Oh, we know the end of the story. And blessing awaits for those who are called, for those who know Christ Jesus, for those who are indwelt and sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. There's a vision. There's some truth I can walk in. Praise God. So what about our vision? 2020. Again, I'm not against goals. We set goals. So what about our, 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 our vision? Well, I want us to be reminded. It's His mission. It's His mission, but it needs to be our focus. And so we've got to make sure our lenses are in tune. And so my prayer for us this year, my prayer for you this year, is that we will begin to fine-tune the lenses. That we will begin to pursue His mission. Because that's His desire. But what is that? What is that specific goal for 2020, Pastor? Uh, many are asking, what is that? What is that? Glad you ask. Our mission statement's not changed. Can somebody just kind of give me, I'm not asking you to get it specifically right, but can anybody kind of maybe give me an idea of what Community Baptist Church's mission statement is? Or maybe what it's been over the years? Because it really hasn't changed. Okay. Philippians 2.16 is our motto verse, if you will. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I've not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So how do we hold forth the word of life? Does that mean we go out in the community like that with our Bible? My preacher said to hold forth the word of life. Boom, boom, get it, boom. No, that's not what it means. Right? How do we hold forth the word of life? John 15, 4 and verse 7 also kind of gives us some instruction, some encouragement in this. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Guys, let's abide. If the Spirit of God, the very life sap that flows through the branches of His body, of, of the tree, if you will, we are those branches. Let the Spirit of God dwell richly within us, and that is in us through the Word. Let the Colossians and, and Ephesians both use this synonymously. Let the Spirit of God dwell in you richly. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. This is how... We live out our calling by abiding, meditating, thinking on, letting it saturate your soul, letting it transform you from the inside out. This is our calling. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, that's not saying, oh, well, I won't. Uh, I could use a new car. My house is getting older. I could use one up on the hill over there. That's your desire. That's not God's desire. Psalm 37.4 clarifies that. Delight yourself 
also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Because, see, when you delight yourself in the Lord, your heart changes. My heart used to desire a lot of wicked things, a lot of fleshly things. And look, that old sin nature still battles within me. But when I met Christ and Christ set me free from the bondage of sin and captured my heart to become a slave to Him, my direction, my desires changed. And so the more I delight in the things of God, the people of God, He satisfies that. You know, you're a satisfaction to the soul of this pastor because you're my brothers and you're my sisters and we have fellowship with one another and with Him. That's awesome. That's a delight. So what's his mission? And what should be our focus? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Amen? Guys, that's still... Community Baptist Church's mission. Our mission is still to evangelize, to equip, and to encourage, to edify. That's always been under, under Fred Clifford, under Dean Hightower, under this pastoral leadership, myself and Nate. That's always been and still remains, and Lord willing, by God's grace, will remain. But we all must be participants in that grace that fills us and should fill us to overflowing. We're not perfect in our walk, and no one is asking you to be. But what we are encouraging you and compelling you to do is exactly what the Word of God compels me and you to do. And that is to daily surrender. And some days we fail. And God's grace is sufficient. But we no longer delight in those things that trip us. Getting up and being dusted off, spiritually speaking, doesn't mean an excuse to go back into the miry pit. It's an opportunity to flee. And pursue righteousness. That's grace. And so, let's bring things into focus. Because again, I know this is sort of the, the big general picture. This is the aerial view. Now we're going to zoom in Google Maps. Google Earth. Oh, we're getting closer. There's so community Baptist. Ah! They saw us. Boy, anyway, I won't go there. I was going to say something. I won't. Satellites and GPSs can get a lot done. I'll just leave it there. So, let's zoom in. Let's bring things into focus. What about us? Practically speaking. Well, preacher, that's all good and fine and dandy, but I need something practical. I need something I can chow on. Good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm with you. Let's put this into practice. What does this look like? 
no matter what ministries we do as a church. Hear me! Hear me, department heads! Hear me, participants in the ministries! Hear me! No matter what ministries we do as a church, no matter what ministry you are a part of, no matter what your occupation in the world is, no matter what season of life you find yourself, our ministries are a platform for the gospel to reach people with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. That's our mission. It's not complicated. It's not about social hour. Though you can have a social hour on the platform as long as it's central to Christ. As long as it's central to making a disciple. Our sports ministry is a wonderful example. People love sports. We can hide our head in the sand and ignore the culture around us. And that would be no different than John and, and Sheila Abraham going into Indonesia and saying, well, I know the culture around me, but I'm not going to step on the platform of the culture for the sake of the gospel. We're going to retreat from it and not have anything to do with it. That's not biblical separation. We don't become partakers in the sin, but we better be penetrators in the culture. Senior saints, same thing. The ministries that you're doing, and I know you are, must remain true to the platform of the gospel. And to make disciples, women's ministry, youth ministries, wings, on the wings of love, up and above the clouds. So I'm still practicing for karaoke. All right, forgive me. I will. <laughs> regardless, guys, regardless, have fun with it, but keep your sights on Jesus and making disciples. Our goal is not just to make converts. It's to make disciples. And we can do that in the platforms God's given us. I'm going to save it. How do we plan to do this? 2020? How do we plan to do this? Many are asking, how do we plan to do this in 2020? How do we plan to do this in 2020? That is a wonderful, wonderful question because I know we want the practical. Stay tuned. Next week, we'll tell you. Guys, please, don't miss next week because there are some things in the areas of ministry that we've just talked about that we're moving into in the year to come. And in order to move forward in every area of ministry that we've mentioned this morning, and some we haven't, is if we stay the course of sharing the gospel and making disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can understand it. 
in what it means. And, and Lord, as we looked at this statement this morning, where there's no vision, the people perish. But Lord, we're reminded that in its fullness, that's simply saying that apart from your truth, we're going to run astray. We're going to do our own thing and we're going to go off course. Lord, protect us in that. Your love is like guardrails on a, a mountain road that's so high up and dangerous, and yet you care enough to put those protective boundaries. And so, Lord, I thank you for your truth that guides us. But more importantly, I thank you for the saving truth that's in Jesus Christ, because apart from him, we can't understand this truth. Apart from that, we're blind, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And that is why Christ came into this world. To seek, to save that which was lost. And Lord, we were lost and we are lost apart from you. Lord, my prayer is this morning as people are listening either online or here presently speaking. Lord, I pray that they understand they're a sinner that they cannot achieve perfection. They'll never walk out these truths. They weren't intended to. In the pages of these Proverbs and through the pages of the Scriptures, it points us to the perfect one. It points us to you. Because only you can fulfill this truth. In fact, the Word reminds us that you were the Word made flesh. Christ came and dwelt bodily in the bodily form. He is truth incarnate. God incarnate and he lived a life we could not live and that sinless life of perfection was laid down to my account at the cross of Calvary and if there's someone here I pray that they will understand that they will be illuminated and enlightened to the truth that Lord you love them so much that you gave your one and only son and that if they would repent and believe in him put their trust in him promises them they would not perish eternal suffering, damnation but they would have life eternal life abundant life and so Lord if there be someone here today that's never called upon the name of Christ I pray in this moment that they would repent of their sin and they would surrender their life, their will to Jesus Christ and by faith receive what he's done their their behalf he laid down his life of righteousness and took on our life of sin and through that death burial and resurrection he's shown us the way he is the way he is the truth and he is the life and no one comes to the father except through him would you come today by faith. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to walk an aisle. God sees you right where you're at. He knows where you are in your circumstances. He knows what you're dealing with in your life. All I'm asking is you hear His voice, surrender to Him today. He does make you a promise. Whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. Right where you are. Call on Him. Receive Him to be your Lord, to be your Savior.
Father, thank you for this church family as we look to the practical things to do in 2020 next week. I pray that you'll help us as we go through this week to be sought, to be liked, to live out that which you've birthed in us, that we might be Christ to those around us. And we will give you the praise and all the glory because you are worthy. In Jesus' holy name and all of God's people said, Amen.